like surely it can't be this this easy right like just to go through a whole process but i think that's a testament to the business that you've set up and the people that you've got in place and the processes as well because i'm sort of looking at that from a business owner's perspective as well about where people are and and how you run things and and when they asked at the after the property settled and did the review it's like you know is there anything that we could improve and you ask those questions and i was can't think of anything like i'm being really critical i can't think of anything which is unreal Hello and welcome. You're listening to Dashdot Insider, where we help you become a better property investor so that you can create a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. And today we talk to someone who is doing just that. His name is Brenton Ford. He is an athlete, a swim coach, a business owner, and now a property investor. We talk about his background. Funnily enough, we actually grew up in the same area, which we didn't know until we were about to start recording the podcast. Um, We talk about his background, how he got into investing, how for the longest time he thought property investing wouldn't work for him, how that has changed, how his view on debt has evolved over time as well, and so much more. It's a super fun conversation where we get to dig into a few different angles around the mindset and psychology around investing and how those things have shifted for Brenton. And I'm very confident that you're going to get a lot of value out of this as well. So before we get into it, make sure you hit the subscribe button or the like button, or in fact, you know what would be the best possible thing that I reckon you could do, aside from subscribing, because you know that's going to be good for you because you won't be set on any episodes, is actually sharing this with someone. Think about someone who you think would be better off if they consume this content, and just share it. Just send it to them and say, hey, I love you. Check this out. Because you never know what impact you could create in somebody else's life just by doing that. So without any further ado, let's get stuck right into it, and I'll see you on the inside. Hey, guys. Welcome back to Dashdot Insider. Joining me on today's episode is Brenton Ford. Brenton is an athlete, a coach, and an investor. Brenton, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Goose. Great to be on. Mate, it's a real pleasure. It's a joy. And uh, hilariously, we actually just discovered, just before we came and start hitting the record button, that we actually grew up in the same area that you were from actually like the town right near right near me in, in Terrelgan, which is which is wild. I've listened to the podcast for probably a year and knew you're from Gippsland, but I didn't know where. And there you go, within about 15 kilometers of each other, probably. So, small world. <laughs> Indeed, massively small world. So, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I never really paid any attention to uh, investing. In fact, I remember when I was younger, my brother was talking, older brother was talking about buying a property. He was looking to buy a property in Terrelgan, interestingly. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, why are you doing that? And I was like, I don't get it. And he's like, you can't go wrong with bricks and mortar. And he's obviously a lot more sensible than me. And I was like, dude, I just don't, I don't, I just don't, I just fundamentally don't understand it. So, like, like, the DNA for me for investing came a little bit later, but I'd love to get a little bit bit of your take on it. Like, talk to me about your background. What was it like uh, on your journey? Obviously, you've had a big focus on sports and you know triathlons and swimming. I'd love to get a little bit of your background so we can kind of lead into the context around uh, around your investing story. Yeah, well, I I started swimming from a, a very young age, and my dad was a swim coach, my granddad was a swim coach, and I actually went to university for for business. And then I started a swim coaching business out of it. So I've been running that for about 13 years. And I love the, I love the sport of swimming. I like the competitive aspects of it. I love the training. I just, I love all of that side of it, but I also like business. And so being able to marry those things together uh, for me has, I've been very fortunate that that's worked out and there's, there's a career in it for me. And, and, but I've also always been in, interested in investing i used to cut out magazine articles from the paper uh and just you know save those and they talked about investing i was never necessarily interested in property investing because 
yeah, my I've always sort of read the Dave Ramsey. It's like no debt, debt is bad, and I sort of took that on board in in my early twenties and thought, why would anyone, you know, buy get all this debt? That's just scary because you know what if everything falls apart and you've got five hundred thousand dollars hanging over your head? How can you pay it back? But I've certainly changed that mindset and attitude over the last couple of years and got to know more. And I like to be proven wrong with with a lot of my beliefs, and that tends to happen a lot, whether it's in swimming coaching or whether it's in investing. And there's certainly been a, a lot of those situations over the last couple of years. Nice. That's awesome. There's a lot to unpack there that I want to kind of dig in a few angles on that. I want to start with the the swimming and business relationship because you've you've competed at a pretty high level in your swimming at triathlon as well, as I understand. You've been, you've been competing and, and performing at a pretty high level and you've been coaching other people for 16 years or whatever uh, now. So there's got to be a lot of psychology that you've developed through that process around resilience, personal performance, all these kind of things that have have they play, has that played into your business career as well? Talk to me about the relationship between those two characteristics because I tend to see there's a really good correlation between athletes and business people because they've got this kind of like mindset around that. So can you talk to me about that a little bit? In both aspects, it's very you've got to be self-motivated. You've got to drive yourself. If you're relying on someone else to uh, get you to the pool or to you know, to be the person who's going to create success in your business. Like it, it's got to be up to you. I think that's important. And then the consistency of things. Like I, I remember when I first started my business that I started out of university and people, there's a couple of people in the class who said like, like you're doing that. They sort of laughed it off and I stuck with it long enough to actually have it become successful. And then, yeah, same with swimming. It, it often takes a while for things to to click so i think just having that habit of doing things day in day out it's not necessarily going to be the exciting things that are going to get you the results it's just the doing the basics and doing the fundamentals so i've always kept that on board of just stick with it play it out it'll eventually happen uh, but it's not always going to be sexy or exciting just stick to the the fundamentals so how do you how do you continue to like like with that knowledge, right? It's not always going to be fun. It's not always going to be exciting. Sometimes it's putting one foot in front of the other. How do you maintain? I'm going to say motivation, but it's the wrong word. Like, but like, what is the what's the pull for you? So that when like it's easy to do things when it feels good. It's easy to do things when you feel motivated. You know, when you when you're winning. But it's when you're not. It's when you are putting one foot in front of the other. When you are the only engine that is driving your vehicle forward whether that be business whether that be sport whether it be investing what do you do or what is your reason that pulls you forward even when you don't want to well that's a good question goose for me so for me i like i love the feeling after swimming so if i for me i've done swimming so long and i hear this from the people that i coach as well when they get to that point that they enjoy going to the pool more and the feeling of what they're like after a swim when that is the thing that uh, they miss, you know, and they even if they're getting up at five o'clock in the morning, they feel worse by not getting up. Then that's a really good motivator. And the same thing for business. Business. If I don't do the things that I have promised people or I've promised myself, you know, produce a podcast a week, produce a YouTube video a week, and you know, get back to my clients with their video analysis and stuff like that, I feel guilty if I haven't done it. And so that feeling for me is worse than in sort of not doing it. So I think just getting to that point of building those habits where when you're not doing the habit, you're going, okay, this I'm out of sync here. So that's been a, bit, a big part of it. But what drives me is like, I, I love to surf. I love to swim. 
I love to hang out with my kids. So that is really the thing that in, in, inspires me and drives me to just keep doing what I'm doing. That's, yeah, if I can surf every day, swim every day, I'm a, I'm a hacking man. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And I love the idea of building habits because it's, it is that kind of thing. And it's like if you can build habits around the uh, attributes and characteristics that will make you successful rather than specifically focusing on the success, then you're more likely to be able to stick to it and ultimately the consistency is going to pay off. I mean, I, I do the same thing and it's like you can develop a habit around anything, you know, like effectively you could develop a habit that you get up and, you know, dance the cha-cha as soon as you get out of bed. As long as you did that every day for long enough, you would effectively get to a point where getting out of bed and not doing the cha-cha would be like, oh, oh something's a little bit wrong. Kind of like, Kind of like manufacturing a little bit of OCD in a in a kind of a sense, so you feel uncomfortable and incomplete if you haven't done done the thing. And I, I do the same thing on a. I'm not even going to vaguely try and imply that I'm uh, an athlete in this way that you are, but I like to get a certain amount of. I like to exercise. <laughs> I do like to exercise, and I've built that into my my system. And it's like I have a really like consistently every day go do the thing, even when I don't want to do it. I just go do it because if I don't do it. It's like something's completely out of whack and, and out of kilter in the day. So, which is, you know, I think a major key to success. I want to circle back to something you said earlier, but you were into investing from a pretty young age. You said you were cutting stuff out of, out of newspapers and all of this kind of stuff. Why? As I mentioned right at the start, I mean, I was like, I couldn't understand why anyone would invest. I just didn't get it. So what, what made you different? Why were you thinking in that way and why was that so interesting to you i, I don't know what it was that it, it appealed to me about it i mean people are you know they've, they've got different interests and things like that but i've always just wanted to do things a little bit differently i think and when i was 15 or 16 going through school i didn't i didn't really have the time to go and get a, a part-time job because i was training seven or eight times a week before and after school most days so i never really had the time to get a part-time job so i ended up importing things from the US, buying things on eBay over there, bringing them back here and selling them you know, for a, for a profit. And so going through school, I never worked a job. I always just sort of bought and sold stuff through eBay. And that kind of showed me, okay, I can do things a little bit differently. And I think that just moved into you know, investing and just thinking about different ways of earning money. Yeah, that sort of talks about the how, but doesn't talk about the why. Like why was that... Why was that a focus? My, so my focus when I was like, we, the interesting thing about this is we grew up in a pretty similar area. So we're from pretty similar backgrounds um, because a lot of easy, it's easy to sort of think, uh, you know, like different people, different places, all of that kind of stuff. We grew up in the same neck of the woods, surrounded by similar people, you know, same environment, all of that kind of stuff. I was thinking about partying and traveling and all these kind of things, organizing festivals and whatnot. You were thinking about making money. So whether it was, you know, buying and selling things on eBay or whether it was investing, like why do you think that was a drive for you? What what and what number one, why do you think it was a drive for you? And number two, what did what was the perceived goal at that time? Jeez, Goose, you ask good questions and uh it's uh it's going back a long way, even though it's I mean it's twenty years, it's it's long enough for me anyway. Uh but I don't know, I mean, I saw like my my dad, my my mum ran a learn to swim school, and she, her and mum and dad still do. So she sort of ran a business, you know, since I was fairly young. And then, and my but my dad was always working a lot. Like he would, he was our swim coach, and he was also working a full time job. So he'd be up from four o'clock in the morning, 
and then he would go to work through the day and then he would get back at like 8.30 at night with us. So he'd have big days, long hours and I I don't know, I think maybe the combination of, of that, I, I thought oh, maybe there is a, another way to earn money here and let's just see see what we can do. Uh, and it's certainly certainly changed over the over the years, but I think that might be where it stems from. But it's hard hard to tell. I haven't sort of sat down with a psychologist or even myself and just gone like and broken it down. Really, I've always just uh, been that way inclined. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. Yeah. And I wonder whether it's because there's a process orientation to it as well, which you've clearly applied in other parts of your life, where it's like, okay, I'm going to be a swimmer. I'm going to apply process and discipline and, and a methodology to it to achieve a specific outcome. And maybe you could see that same kind of pattern appearing in a different way. And there's a propensity for for people that have that have got that that are that way inclined to start to try and see those patterns and apply those things in other areas of your life as well. Because obviously, some people are like. I wanted to make money because, you know, I grew up in a poor family and I wanted to do something else or I wanted to make money because I saw some rich person on TV and I wanted to be like them. And sometimes it's just like, I don't know, I just liked the process of it, which is what kind of what it sounds like uh, with you, which is really interesting. And I'd love to know then, I'm sorry to um, keep making you go back into the archives a little bit, but I think understanding the formation of the thinking is actually uh, helpful. So you mentioned early on, like, so you were making some money on eBay, good, good. Uh, then you started getting interested in making money other ways. You realized you didn't want to have to work all the time. You wanted to create more leverage. I'm obviously filling in a few um, gaps here as well. But you also mentioned that you weren't interested in real estate investing. You So what was the kind of investing that you were pursuing early on and how were you thinking at that time or even early, like, I don't, you don't have to go all the way back, but like in the, over the last 10, 15 years, what has been your approach to investing and trying to create that leverage and how is that different from today? I was probably eight eight years ago, maybe nine years ago, a friend of mine, Sarah, who at the time was a financial advisor, she was just talking about superannuation and you know, how you can contribute up to a certain amount. So that got me started with just maxing that out each year for myself and my wife and that kicked things off a, a little bit. So it's always been super uh, a little bit with shares and investment bonds, but I never thought of property because one, it's expensive or you know, thought to be expensive. And following that Dave Ramsey style of debt is bad, I thought it'd be crazy for anyone to ever get an interest-only loan. Like, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just pay it down, pay it off? And then also just, I, I didn't see it as, how can you actually make money with it if you're just, everyone's going for negative gearing? I don't want to have coming out of my account every month when we're losing money on it in the hope that it it goes up. But we always did well with our own properties. So we bought our first place probably 10 years ago, my wife and I, and we made pretty good money out of that. And then we made a bit of money out of our second place and we're now in our, our third house. But I never saw how I could actually make it work financially from an investment perspective. So Why, why not? Yeah, why, why, you could see it working on a PPOR perspective. So what made you think that it wouldn't work on a purely investment-based perspective, particularly given the fact that a principal place of residence has zero income attributed to it. So, you know, I can understand the thinking, why would I want a negative gear? I buy something and it loses money and whatever. And obviously in the current interest rate environment, it's pretty hard to find any properties that are still going to stack up on a cash flow basis right now. So on a PPOR basis, you've got zero income coming in. So it's like 100% a cash deficit, yet you could see the value creation happening on that basis. Why did you not think that that would apply if you were just going to do investing? I think each time we bought, we thought we were buying at the 
top of the market. You know, it's like just with the media, it was, you know, the property market's at its, at its peak and it's, it's going to crash. So I think there was certainly some fear factor around it. And yeah, just, I, I didn't know, I didn't know the first thing and I wasn't really interested in like learning that either. So I think when Dashdot came along for me, it was like, all right, I, I've got friends who have used them for many years. I've had good success with it. They're heavily data-driven. And I yeah, listened to the, the podcast for, for quite a while as well. And I thought, yeah, okay, they know what they're doing. And for me, that's that gives me a lot of trust that they've done the due, due diligence and they're experts in it. And something that's really changed my life over the last couple of years is paying people for their experience, whether that's in business coaches, uh, whether it's in you know, taxing and, uh, and accounting or just education. It's just like pay for pay for the experience, pay for professionals, and it usually works out much more cost-effective than trying to scrimp and save buy. So that uh, that belief, I think, took me to, um, to getting started with you guys as well. Yeah, that's interesting. I want to talk about um, I want to talk about a bit of your journey uh, since then. Did we help you buy your first investment property? I just want to make sure that it actually was your first investment property. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Our first so investment property. I want to come back to the debt and all of that kind of stuff. But let's quickly talk about the property you bought. Have you? I've got some numbers here. Have you got some updated numbers on your property? Do you know how it's been performing? I just I just saw the from the show notes. Uh, I saw what the March fail was. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. Um, it's pretty interesting, right? So you had a concern, right? You had a kind of like lingering concern, I guess, that investing in real estate might not be. So there's an element of trust. You had to kind of lean in and go, okay, I'm going to trust the process. I'm going to pay professionals. I'm going to put park my doubts and concerns or whatever, and lean in here and see if it works. Is that a fair kind of assessment of a part of the process? And then. The property has gone up by 5.74% in 1.6 months, which has given you a 17.8% return on invested capital in less than two months. How does that make you feel? And then contextualize that against the last, the lost decade or whatever of not investing in property. I'd love to know how that makes you feel. <laughs> I, I try not to think about that, first of all. But yeah, I mean, it's the, the whole, it was really funny because like the whole process was, was so smooth and uh, made really easy that. When it actually came time to like buying the property and settling and everything, it was kind of like a, a non-event for my wife and I. Like it, it was that smooth and kind of easy that we weren't like ex- excited. No, and I'm not. I don't. Yeah, I don't say that in a, in a bad way, but it's just like it's it's just something that we're doing, and which is which is great. That's what I want. I don't want to be sort of stressing or riding the emotional way, you know, wave of these things. So the fact that it has gone up and it's so much in such a short space of time is is really exciting and yeah i look at what my investment bonds have done over the last two years and they've gone that in the negative direction so you know to have the property going the other way is uh, is is really nice yeah that's awesome yeah that's awesome it's um, an interesting thing you just mentioned there as well about how easy it can feel now this might sound a little odd because you know gabby and i started the business but we hadn't experienced our own service because, you know, we built the business and all of this kind of stuff. And for the first couple of years, you know, you start a business, hard to get finance, all that kind of stuff. So a few years in, we were like, hey, we can get finance again. Now, awesome. Let's go. Let's go do this. So wait, hang on a second. We built a whole team and a whole business that does this. Let's, <laughs> let's go through the process ourselves. And it was mind-blowing to me. I was just like, to the degree that I kind of forgot that we were even buying properties. I was like, it's all just sort of happening. And I was like, oh, shit, we've got three more properties and don't even – it's like – 
it was really freakishly bizarre how easy it could be, particularly if you lean out a little bit and just go, okay, I'm just going to trust the process. Obviously, the more you lean into it and go, I want to get all in and around it, the more you're going to experience the, the I guess, the, the effort that goes into it as well. But it certainly can kind of change the context around uh, how to think about making money when you realize that it kind of can happen on autopilot. You don't really need to do much, right? That's what was so cool about it too. It's like this, like surely it can't be this this easy, right? Like just to go through a whole process. But I think that's a testament to the business that you've set up and the people that you've got in place and the processes as well, because I'm sort of looking at that from a business owner's perspective as well about you know, where people are and, and how you run things. And and when they asked it the, after the property settled and did the review, it's like, you know, is there anything that we could improve? And you asked those questions and I was, can't think of anything. Like I'm being really critical. I can't think of anything, which is, which is unreal. And to have that happen with something like property, which I think is normally thought to be a very difficult, pain in the ass process to have to go through. It was it was made really really smooth, so I was stoked at the end of it. Awesome, love it. I want to talk about the because you bought that property in WA, I think, isn't it? It's in um, yeah, it's in Western Australia, and you're currently in Victoria. Just want to confirm that. How did you get your head around the idea of investing somewhere that you weren't going to go to? Because I'm going to assume, or I'd love to get your perspective. Like, was that ever a barrier to you? Like, how to, you know, thinking about this idea of investing in a borderless sense, was that something you had to overcome? Like, you know, kind of limiting belief, emotional overcome kind of kind of basis. How did you do that? And then, how do you feel about the context of that now? If, yeah, if you'd asked me 18 months ago, I would have gone like, no way, am I doing that? That's just that's crazy. What if something goes wrong? But then listening to the podcast and just hearing why. You need to open up your horizons. And for me, that just kind of built the belief that, okay, well, the smart move is to actually go elsewhere outside of your own suburb. Because like my mum and dad, they bought next door. They bought a unit next door as an investment property. You had it for a couple of years, I think. I, I don't think it really made much money. And so, yeah, I thought, okay, let's let's go interstate. And it was, and I think it actually helps because it kind of takes your mind off things. If it's next door, if it's down the street, you're always looking over what's you know what are they doing what are the tenants doing so it actually for me it's probably a, a plus rather than a, a negative yeah it's really interesting that you, that you mentioned that because i was actually just reflecting that on that specific thing the other day so we've got a property in geelong and anytime we go in that area we don't go past it so should we go should we drive past i'm like no like i don't i don't want to because right now all of the properties they're even though we used to live in that one in Geelong, right? So it's, it's a real thing for us. But if you th- can think about them contextually as an investment, no different from shares or any other thing, you don't you don't want to actually you don't want to be in that kind of position where you're like putting your hands on things and you know looking at oh Jesus, the grass been cut enough and like you can start to then work up these all these deeper emotions about it. I'd love to know. Ada, you said eighteen months ago this would have been a foreign concept to you and you would have been totally against it. So what advice would you give someone today? who's maybe where you were 18 months ago and thinking, nah, there's no way that I'm going to – I need to be able to touch it. I need to be able to drive around there. I need to be able to – it's got to be close to me or I'm not going to do it because I'll shut up in a second and let you answer the question. But like, but, but part of the problem that a lot of people face is where they live It's typically got higher prices and stuff like that. And there's this kind of belief like, oh, I could never invest in property because properties cost $750,000, a million or more – and they're all negatively geared and yada, yada, yada. So it's, I'm, I'm out. I'm never going to get there. And so if we can help change people's context around how they can you know, look at 
location selection, all of that kind of stuff can actually help people to break through. So what advice would you give someone who's where you were 18 months ago about this idea? Well, when I look at where we live now, it's minimum million dollars for a four bedroom place. And the rental yield is like 2.3% or 2.4%. And just like, all right, that's crazy to be able to put, to invest in, in that. So yeah, to you know, anyone who's who would sort of doubt if that's the right thing to to do to invest outside of where they live. I think for me, it was just like I, I I wanted to hear the information that went against my existing beliefs. I sort of sought that out, and um, your podcast was a was a big one there. And also, I think the combination of the like obviously the data that you're driven by, but a big factor too is just like with the Australian market with how much immigration we have, the lack of housing, what it costs to build new houses as well now, all of that really played into my my belief that, okay, this is the right decision and they've got, you guys have got a, a proven track record. And I would never have thought that there are places out there, let's say like our place, by the beach, $500,000 yield of, I can't remember what it was, like 5.7%. Yeah. 5.7% in, uh, in a growth market. It's like, you, I don't didn't know that stuff was out there because- all I knew was just our local area and the places we'd looked to buy houses before. So I think it's just, uh, yeah, we see it as one big property, yeah, one big uh, property market where everything moves the same, but it's just, it's not the case. And, you know, if I hear, um, I sort of hear my, my in-laws and stuff saying, oh, it's like, you know, we heard good things about Perth and the rental market or the real estate market over there. Like, yeah, it's anything you hear on the news is going to be six months out of date. So it's just switch off the noise and just go with people who are actually looking at this stuff on a regular basis. Yeah, I love that. How do you feel about debt now? Because you mentioned that, you know, you were like, why would anyone have an interest-only loan and all of that kind of stuff? Have you, if you don't mind me asking, have you structured the loan on this property that you bought in WA? And how do you feel about debt now? Yeah, so we structured this property. We put 20% down. It's interest-only. And... I was tossing out whether we do 80 or 90 percent for you know, but for the first one I thought all right we'll just we'll just be uh, safe here put 20 percent down and that'll keep myself and my wife you know kind of uh, comfortable with that but then down the track we're looking you know maybe we do go to to 90 percent next time just to be able to accelerate the the strategy but you know for now we're sort of happy happy with that and in terms of debt like once it's actually now that we've got payments coming in, payments going out, it's kind of breaking even with that, with what's coming in and, and what's going out. And you don't even sort of notice it. Like it's just there and it's just kind of this monthly payment that you're making to the bank. And it's just, it's not scary anymore because as you've said on the podcast so many times, it's not going down to zero. It's, you've got this asset there, you've got the land and it's not going to go to zero. And I think that's probably what I thought in the past. It's like, what if it does go down to zero? And that's half a million dollars that, we owe you the bank and there's nothing there to show for it, but got your insurance in place, you're okay. So just just make sure you're up to date on those things. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, point of view as well, particularly in the context of what you were what you said earlier in the conversation where uh, every time you bought a principal place of residence, you thought you were buying at the top of the market, right? So the natural implication then is that if you're at the top, then it's probably going to go down and, and whatever. And there's obviously been a lot of um, talk in the media about property market crashing and all of that kind of stuff over the last little while. What's your perspective on that? 
noting that you bought a property relatively recently and it's gone up in value, but not just using that as a point of reference, but using a broader point of reference on your perspective on the, on the real estate market. Do you, yeah, talk to me about your context around, around that and whether or not you think that there's a, there's a property market crash or like, because a lot of people are still concerned about it. So I'd love to get your point of view on, on that and what advice you might give to other people who, who are thinking about investing at the moment. Well, it, it doesn't make sense to me that, that so many people are struggling to find rentals and like to get a place to live, but the property market's going to crash. It's like, okay, how does, how does this work if the supply is like, if there's much more demand than there is, is supply. So that, that to me gives me a lot of assurance with it. And then just with what you guys provided with the data on, on the location that we bought, it's like, well, there's not really any more land that's available there. Um, it's got all these things that are going on, all these developments that are happening. And it's a, Looks like looks like a nice place to live. I would would imagine. So, uh, yeah, I'm just I'm very comfortable with the, with it. And when I look at what it rents for as well, it's like that's what it costs to get a a four bedroom place here where I live, where property prices are double like what it is in, in the place that we bought, which just seems crazy to me. But that's just that's how it is. So I'm I'm really happy with it. And just kind of going back to the debt thing too. It's uh, it's just I see it as a tool to leverage your your wealth creation now and being able to use the you know, if you look at the inflation and just being able to purchase a an asset at, at a certain price but only put in a, a much smaller amount it's just such a powerful tool for leverage which yeah previously it was just a scary thing that i didn't want to deal with but now it's, it's a tool that can help me accelerate my wealth goals yeah and what are your goals now i know you know, when I was saying, well, when you were growing up, you know, it was like, I don't know what the goals were. I was just doing the thing. But what are the goals now? You've got a, you've got a wife. Have you got kids as well? Like, have you got a, got a family? And you're obviously investing for a reason. What is the goal? So I've got two young kids. One's in school. One's about to start school next year. I mean, lifestyle-wise, I've, we're really lucky. We've got a, a great lifestyle with the, with the business that I run. But I, I, property for me is a, just a, I don't want to say a backup, but it's just a, another way of building our our assets so that we've got more freedom down the track. So uh, I just want to put lots of different things in place to be able to have the freedom to do what we want when we want. Uh, and for the most part, we've we've already got that pretty well. But uh, I kind of see it as a bit like a game too. Like I want to I want to get good at this at this prof- property stuff and and develop a a, a good portfolio that's. I'm sort of, that I'm proud of and I can show friends or family and go, look, this is what you can, you can do. And yeah, it's just form of insurance in it in a way just to continue to, to grow wealth and uh, give us more options down the track if we, uh, I don't know, want to travel more or I don't know, just uh, keep doing what we're doing really. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting you said that you want to be able to show other people what's possible. Is that an important factor? in why you're doing it, like to actually show people that they can actually create something else so they don't have to get stuck in the kind of traditional way of thinking? Is that, uh, is that a part of it for you? Uh, I think it's a, yeah, it's, I wouldn't say it's a, a huge driving factor, but I certainly, like you know, my, when I look at uh, friends and, and family and stuff, it's like a lot of them don't have that much free, free time. So, you know, if they could find a way to have more freedom, it's like, well, it gives gives you more time to hang out with your friends or your family and to share that time with them as well. So, and to be able to, and I've sort of had that with my, with my business, like over the last couple of years, it's, it's done well. And I'll often get questions from people about, okay, how are you doing this? And 
I like to help them. I, and I, when I was in school, I like to help, help people with their schoolwork and stuff like that. I've always sort of had that teacher or sort of coaching um, way of going about things. So, yeah, I think this is another way of being able to show people a, a different way. Yeah, let's tie this back to sports as well because one of the interesting things that I've noticed about um, about athletes is they tend to be super focused on their pursuit of their craft, right? So whatever that may be. And we sort of see this thing with like, you know, you see it with AFL stars and NBA stars and whatever, is they focus on the sport, but they don't actually think about things like setting themselves up for the rest of their life. And so what can end up happening is they can end up walking down a path where they suddenly get to a point later on where they're like, oh, shit, I've spent all of this time focusing on how do I get good at this you know, this sport or this pursuit and none of it thinking about how do I set up contextually for the rest of my life. So what what advice would you give to a sports person or a, or a competitive or professional athlete who is in that mind frame to help them start to pull that thread without distracting them from, you know, their pursuit of greatness in their in their chosen field. That's that's a big one. And I actually had uh, I actually had Cole Chalmers on our podcast last week, the well known Aussie swimmer. And we were talking about this on the podcast where if the only thing that you're doing is swimming and you go home and then you nap during the day and eat your lunch and you go back to the pool, that is when you get in your own head and you often compete you don't compete as well when it's when that's your sole focus. And so if you can have something on the side or something in the background that whether you're best studying or doing a bit of work or something else, then they actually compete a lot better because they've got something else to just distract them in a way. So I think with something like property, it's like, well, it kind of it doesn't give you a whole lot to do, but it kind of gives you something there in the background that you know you can can build wealth. Uh, it, it's not going to take a lot of time at all. So it fits in really well with their competing at a professional level and it's just a good long-term play especially when most sporting careers are five ten years maybe and it's something that they can grow in the background so i think for for sports people it's a really good you know good approach for them to uh, to do something outside of just just sport yeah love it how are you you may not have put any thought into this, but it's a curious question. I don't have any kids and uh not planning on it anytime soon right but what i find interesting is thinking about how parents can teach their kids about investing. Because what I've noticed is that broadly speaking, there's a lot of people that are roughly our age who have gone on this investing journey where maybe their parents weren't investors and all of that kind of this. It feels like there's kind of like a, a new you know, generation of investors who are working things out. And I'd be interested to know how you might think about teaching some of these concepts around investing to your kids to set them up better and what impact you think that might have. Yeah, my kids are... At the moment, five and six, so they're they're fairly young. Never too young to start, but you know, that's right. No, that's well. I was I was sort of reading Barefoot Investor when they were like two and three years old. I'm like, oh, it's probably a little bit early. I'll just I'll wait a few more years, and and then you blink in it, and they're five and six now. So, but I mean, with this this property, for example, we just started discussing it with them. Like, oh, okay, so see this place on the map. Their mum and dad bought bought a house there, and people are. Are living there so we we just sort of talked a little bit about that and then with their own stuff we don't exactly do the three jars stuff the barefoot investor does but we we do talk a bit about you know saving it and then all right spend this money on your toys and things like that but i've just started to talk to them a bit about like what what i do with the business and 
and then the property. And because I don't want to force it upon them either. I think yeah, one of the really good things that my dad did was he never told me what to do. It was always just he'd talk about things, but he'd never tell me directly what to do. And I think that was a, a good thing because I took a lot of the stuff that he was that yeah you know, that he used to teach and stuff is on board because it wasn't being rammed down my throat. So that, I'm trying to take the same approach is to not force things with the with the kids and but just show them what we're doing and then hopefully they'll take some of that stuff on board when they get older. Awesome. Love it. Final question. What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Like what would you go, oh, actually, it's going to be my second last question actually. What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? And then I've got a, um, a second follow-up question to that as well. I was thinking about this earlier. It would, it would probably be to uh, just relax more and go and travel and do the things that afraid will set you back in a way because I was just very early on, I was like, all right, I want to be successful. I want to you know, have, have a good business. I want to do all these things. And so I probably didn't, I didn't travel as much as I could have and I was just probably too serious about things early on. But then I also look at that and go, well, things have worked out how I wanted them to, to work out. So was that a factor? So yeah, I wouldn't change anything for the world, but don't be so serious when, uh, when, I, when I'm 20 uh, would probably actually be one. Yeah, interesting. And here's an interesting final question, actually. This is definitely going to be the final one, but it's an interesting, more of a philosophical question, and I'll try and explain the context of it so, so you understand it. The question is, if you woke up tomorrow and everything you had was gone, right? So nobody knew who you were, you don't have your business, you haven't got your clients, you haven't got any of your reputation, uh, you've got no money, you've got no investments, you've got no nothing, right? You're just back to square one tomorrow. You're not going back in time to when you were tomorrow. You wake up in that state. Would you, from ground zero, seek to rebuild the same life that you currently have? Or would you seek to use that opportunity to create a completely different life? Which is an interesting question because on the one hand, you might love your life right now, but would you actually go through the process to arrive at the same point, which is the process you've already been through? Or would you take the opportunity to create a completely different life and I'd love to know why. Oh, that's a, another good one, Geese. Geez, you've, uh, you've got it nailed. The only thing I would probably change would be maybe living in a warmer climate. So I'm down in Torquay at the moment and I've got two blankets on and I'm bloody freezing. However, everything outside of that, I, I think I'd build you know, something very similar to what, what I've got. And as I mentioned before, one of the big things is being able to surf when it's good. And I remember 10 years ago, I wrote down a list of about 12 things. It's like, this is... Uh, where I want to live, what I want to be doing, what I want to be earning, all these things. And I wrote them down and I thought, yep, in about two years, I'll have this sorted. It took me about 10 to, to achieve them. But, uh, but you know, finally, finally got there. And I'm really grateful for my wife because with a lot of the stuff that we've done, getting married, having kids, all that stuff, I was kind of just like, ah, oh, yeah, let's just see what happens. And I was really just kind of cruising through through life. And she encouraged me to, yeah, so when are you going to propose? Yeah, all right, now let's think about having kids. And I just sort of, I was like, all right, yeah, let, let's do it. But I'm really glad she did. And so now, like, I'm, it's great. It's, it's amazing having kids and um, being married to my wife and I love where we live and everything that's going on. So I wouldn't change, uh, wouldn't change things for the world. Awesome. Love it. On that note, let's wrap it up there. Brenton, it's been awesome. Been a really good conversation. I've loved hearing about how your thoughts have evolved over time to arrive at this place right now. So super valuable. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, Giz. Great to be on here.